Welcome back to another Silicon Sasquatch podcast. I'm your host once more for today, Doug Bonham, and with me today is Nick Cummings. It's just me. And no one else. I guess uh, there's nope. there's a lot of busy stuff happening, but it gives us the chance to have a nice little chat, a little fireside chat for the both of our fans out there tonight. Mono a mono. Two men enter. Well, we're both going to leave, but yeah, it's not quite Thunderdome in this podcast here tonight. <laughs> Yet. Oh no. Well, we're not going to be. Uh, we're not going to be discussing uh, Minecraft, so it's not going to. We're not going to get the knives out for until because of that. I guess I should say. Yeah, thankfully. Uh, I let's not go there. <laughs> no, let's not. But what we're going to talk about today is, well, Nick has been dedicating his life for the last couple months to working on game development. And I know that when he started, there were some diary entries, some, you know, let's getting start, let's get started and get this going sort of discussion about game design and what you're doing. And I guess I wanted to talk with you and interview you about, well, what you've learned so far, what you've done. Like what's gone well, what's gone, what needs to get changed and kind of do an updated version of like, where are you now in this project since, well, it's our website. We're interested in what you want to do and what you're doing with it and learning about doing vi- or making games from the ground up as an indie developer in 2014 is it's a topic that I think we'd all be interested in. So let's the glamorous lifestyle of the rogue independent. Yeah. Um, I guess let's start yeah. with giving me a, giving us myself as well as our listeners a little recap on what you've been doing since you headed up to Seattle. Oh yeah, so uh, I feel like we should cue like license uh, take a look at me now right now, but <laughs> probably costs more money than it's worth. Uh, that's a I don't know. It's a good question because uh. For anyone who knows me personally, uh, I moved to Seattle from Austin when I decided to move on from Facebook. And uh, my idea at the time was that was a really awesome company. I got lots of cool experiences out of it, a very diverse set of opportunities and all that. But my heart was really in like doing something different. I felt like, you know, this is my one shot in my life. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm relatively independent. Uh, I, my girlfriend was also up for a big change as well. We're like, what the hell? Let's, uh, let's move to the Northwest to make our dreams come true. So, uh, since I arrived in Seattle and we picked Seattle because of it's, uh, it's one of the big, uh, video game development hubs in the country. Um, maybe just behind San Francisco and Los Angeles, but, uh, significantly more livable and affordable in my opinion. Uh, LA may be on par, but I don't want to live in LA. Um, and it also, of course, reasons. you're from the Portland area as long as, as well as me. So going back to the yeah. Northwest, it's not Portland, but going back to the Northwest is a big deal. I just remember from yeah. when you were looking at that move, it was like, I'm going to look at Seattle or I'm going to go look at San Francisco and talk about doing San Francisco. And then like a week later, it's like, well, not going to Facebook or San Francisco. We're going to Seattle instead. Yeah, it was a little fast. Uh <laughs> For me, just because of uh, some uh, extenuating circumstances and also just the realization after I was out visiting San Francisco for a week and working out there that like it just didn't click for me the way I was hoping it would. 
but yeah, it's good to be back in the Northwest. Uh, I, I love being close to Portland and Seattle. There's a lot of uh, good things happening in both places. And uh, yeah, so I was kind of like, you know, starry eyed and all that. Like, hey, let's just throw everything in a cube and ship it to Seattle and let's go see what happens. And uh, so we did. Um, so that was about, that was mid-October last year when we got here. So it's been, uh, Jesus, almost six months. Um, in that time, uh, we spent a lot of time, like, actually locating a place, crashing with family in the meantime, which was wonderful that we were able to do that. And, uh, I kind of, once, you know, got my feet on the ground, I was like, okay, I'm gonna dedicate my time half to, like, applying to all these game companies that I would like to work for. The other half to building out this portfolio and making my resume more applicable to actual game development jobs. Like, mm-hmm. I figured I had a pretty good, you know, handle on a lot of basic business concepts, communication, uh, data analysis, uh, some light programming, that kind of stuff. So um, it'd be probably, I'd probably be a safer bet for like a business development type person or like a um, maybe even light production. But I, I've always kind of had my heart in design just as a, you know, principle or like a, a style of work that I really enjoyed. Like in college, you'll remember I, I was a newspaper uh, designer. Uh, and for the record, Doug was a sports reporter slash, I think, summer editor. Right? I, I was uh, originally on there as a copy editor and then eventually became copy chief, but also spent time as um, the a sports reporter eventually and also the editor of the sports section during the summertime so i wore a couple different hats but it was basically yeah. dude what in sports section at newspaper yeah and like so if you spot any typos on the website uh and doug or i looked at it there's no good reason why that happened and you can laugh at us all you want because we spent way too much time in yeah. that world to uh fuck things up mm. uh yeah so i've always enjoyed design i've always uh kind of that's kind of where i find you know what they call like that flow state the best is like when i'm just actively iterating on something and trying to make all these pieces fit together and function and flow the way they're supposed to and i've always found that kind of um works for me both visually and in terms of like mechanically when it comes to like designing a website flow or designing like how a game works so uh you know and i figured well shit if i've been helping run a video game blog for five years now uh obviously my heart's still in this industry to some extent so it felt like the right time to give it a shot. So, um, so yeah, being in Seattle, I applied to all these companies, uh, and I didn't hear back after the first week or two from a lot of them, which was like, you know, okay, that happens. It's the job market. It's definitely still a hirer's market as opposed to an applicant. So, uh, I, I used those first couple, uh, weeks and months here to kind of just brush up on JavaScript and PHP and HTML and kind of get my, my web programming skills back in check. I did a fair bit of that at Facebook, but not a whole lot. Uh, okay. It wasn't like my primary responsibility. And also just brushing up in Game Maker again, which I, I own Game Maker Pro. I bought it at a Steam sale, which is a, a good way to get started with kind of the basics of game development and programming. And I made a couple dumb little things. They didn't really go anywhere. And uh, about that time, about a month later, month and a half, uh, mid-December, I got a call back from a company I applied to, um, Nintendo. And uh, was offered a contract position, and I said, "Well, yeah." How's your foot here? How's your foot feel after that name drop? Oh, I just went to the small company called Nintendo. You might have heard of them. Well, I didn't mean it to be a name drop. It was, <laughs> <laughs> as anyone who knows about my experience there, it was uh, it was uh, maybe not the best fit. <laughs> but um, we can we can spare the details since this isn't the the 
the idea is you're applying for companies to try and also get like real world experience working at a company but the one you went with was Nintendo the one that got back to you was Nintendo and it wasn't the best fit for what you wanted to do or what they wanted necessarily to do going full time so you're not with Nintendo yeah uh, it wasn't the right fit for me Um, uh, I think I can leave it at that yeah Uh, we parted amicably it was my idea to leave and um, I you know, met some good people there, wish my team the best, but, uh, I realized I really, you know, I made this big transition in my life. I basically uprooted everything and left a bunch of my friends behind, um, and moved my significant other and myself and our little tiny ass dog across the country to get into game development. So I was like, well, okay, I need to just put up or shut up in for, in for a dollar in for a hundred is basically the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the truism. Or I guess so, I guess the British saying is in for a penny, in for a pound. What that doesn't make as much sense to Americans. No, we we just laugh at those things. Yeah, other currencies. So <laughs> am I right. Yes. Yeah. Lol. <laughs> Foreign money. Am I right? Anyways, the almighty dollar. Yeah. yeah. So now you've been full, kind of full, whole hog in practicing game development, studying game development, and working on it. So what have the last few months? Uh, seen you try and do and like what have you been studying and then what have you been doing to try and uh like what's your goal been for the last few months i guess and then how have you been getting there sure so um when i when i decided to leave nintendo i I was like okay i really need some kind of rigid expectations or benchmarks i can operate by to measure how i'm spending this time because i don't know about you but um working living Maintaining a schedule autonomously with no outside dependencies is does not come naturally to me. No, nope. I really need some sort of structure, or else I just kind of like wallow around in my pajamas until four in the afternoon, and I'm like, well, the day's already gone. Might as well just play some Dark Souls. Yep. Uh, fortunately, that didn't really happen uh, when I was playing Dark Souls, but um, I was like, okay, I got to get my shit together. I got to have some clear expectations of how I'm going to spend this time because. The way, I, the way I really ultimately tried to look at it was like, I could either pay a lot of money to go back to school and get a CS master's and maybe apply some of that CS knowledge to game development, or I could move to like LA or Santa Cruz and hope to God that I get into UCSC or USC, spend even more money, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I could take this time, invest it myself just to keep a roof over my head and food in my stomach occasionally, and um, try to just, you know, go the indie route and really just push myself to learn all these and really master through practice these skills of design, uh, art creation, programming, production, uh, even sound design, all that kind of stuff. All the little constituent components of games that uh, are needed to create something from scratch. So I was like, okay, uh, short term, my goal is to put together a portfolio that I feel like I can shop around if I need to. Uh, So like full disclosure at this point, I don't have any clear plans on like would it make sense for me to try and find a job again at uh local companies or even just developers elsewhere that sound like promising with a good you know a good fit culturally and you know uh kind of in terms of their mission of what kind of games trying to make or do i want to just really invest in myself going independent maybe starting something with some people down the line either way i need to have a, a baseline of you know, these are things I can do, and here are the things I did to prove and to learn that I can do those things. So mm. uh, that comes down to, like, things like games that run on their own, games created for game jams, levels created in existing software. Like, um, uh, uh, before uh, I started at Nintendo, I was spending a lot of time in, um, 
uh, Bethesda's uh, level editor for Skyrim, which is not a game I like, but um, it has a really robust level editor, and I thought I could do some fun stuff with that. And I built like a kind of a cool cave system and put some enemies in it, and that was kind of cool. Um, just you know, rounding out like if if I if I was a if I was a hiring manager at a game company and I was hiring people to come in at like entry-ish level design or production, what would I be looking for? So I'm trying to kind of fill that, fill in those gaps. Um, and also just make sure, you know, that I can, you know, perform on those things like I need to. So um, to that end, I've done some game jams, like I mentioned. Um, I, I was part of the Flappy Jam and I made a... Flappy Jam. Oh no, yes. I forgot about that. Yeah, so in case you missed that, um, Flappy Bird, the uh, ubiquitous yet conspicuously absent now. I believe that def- or uh, fits the textbook definition of flash in the pan. It was here for two days and it was gone and then nobody cared anymore. I still play it. I have oh. a disease in my brain, though, probably. <laughs> it's in- the, 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 the problem is inside of you. You cannot change it. <laughs> it's like Comic Sans. So- it's like you, are, you are Comic Sans guy, but for... Flappy Bird. Yeah. So I, but the jam had a good, a good in, intent behind it, which was that people can become overnight celebrities when they create games that just pick up and take off for no good reason. And Flappy Bird performed like extraordinarily beyond any reasonable level it should have performed at. And the guy was made an overnight success, but also like an overnight celebrity and just couldn't handle the media pressure and the fan outcry of anger and frustration and joy and anger and death threats. So never, never mind being a foreign national who probably doesn't have like the tools necessary to handle these like American gamer culture. Yeah. Cause American gamers are by and large assholes. I'm sorry if you're listening to this. I like, this you, is a but... whole nother topic entirely, <laughs> yeah. but we, we, we like games. We like people who play games, but self-described gamers. Some, sometimes the, the craziest ones tend to be just batshit crazy. Yeah, please, please check your fedora at the door. Uh, oh. so the jam was like, okay, uh, that sucks that this guy felt so bullied. We should make a jam to be some more supportive of developers and to say kind of a big F you to this culture that permits and actually promotes basically gamers treating people like shit. Um, so I made a little game for that called Flippy Bard just cause I like transposing letters. And, uh, uh, that was kind of my intro to 2d development in unity. I've done a little bit of 3d and 2d tutorials here and there to get up to that point, like probably about a dozen uh, and that took a few weeks to get to a basic level of proficiency with Unity, where I felt like I understood how all these assets work together. Um, I understood how to use JavaScript to um, write code and execute it in a game setting. Uh, I made like a really cheesy version of Pong with... Um, <laughs> I, I never finished it, but I wanted to make it US versus USSR with uh, You're the Best Around uh, playing in the background. <laughs> I got the music in, but I realized I probably can't post that anywhere publicly because I don't have the rights to it. But it's awesome. Um. <laughs> this, I think, I think my advice in this case, and I am not a lawyer, but I will definitely pretend to be right mm-hmm. now, is I would post it and deal with the cease and desist when it comes. I mean, probably, yeah. This is a case where it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. <laughs> I would agree. And uh, I just need to add a few more um, particle effects, unnecessary particle effects, and like explosions and bald eagles and Zangief doing a pile driver. And uh, we'll be good to go. 
And, and Putin. Captain yeah, Putin. Putin, like, shooting laser beams out of his eyes. It's just, I don't know. It's so fun when you learn a tool to the point where you're like, how, I, okay, I may not be able to make the most polished games at this point, but I can make some absolutely batshit fucking goofy garbage and put it out there and people will probably have a good <laughs> laugh. It's like, um, yeah. are you familiar with um, Bubsy 3D visits the uh, LA Museum of Art, whatever that was called? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that weird fucking like Bubsy 3D clone made in Unity in a browser where you go to an actual art exhibit in LA. The guys who made that. And then it turns into an MMORPG. Yes, it does. We are a ghost and it's, it's crazy weird. You need to play it uh, if you haven't. But there was this game they made beforehand called uh, Room of 1000 Snakes. And it's about a minute long. And all you f- know when you're going into it is like, they told you not to enter this place because of the snakes and it's cursed or whatever. And it's just like an. You, the game starts out, it's first person, you're in just a single room, it's dimly lit by torches, and um, it's got this Egyptian theme to it, you assume you're in a pyramid, and there's a button at the end, and you walk up, push the button, and the room just starts shaking very gently, and then you start hearing this very familiar string section playing, and then about 10 seconds in, you realize it's Bittersweet Symphony, <laughs> and the room keeps shaking more and more, dust starts pouring out of these vents, and then right at the part where um, the strings kind of swell up into the melody, the main melody of the song... Thousands of snakes start pouring out of these holes <laughs> and smothering you. <laughs> and it just says, oh push E to shake off snakes. And so you're mashing E, but you can't keep them all off and they're covering your vision. And then when you the game ends, you die. It says you died with the snakes. And it takes you to this tumble with a bunch of really cheesy photoshopped art of like, here are postcards from the gift shop. And they're like, there's this one I remember that was like two children lying in a field with like this really, you know, soft glow light on them. And it just says in this cursive lettering, I died with the snakes. And then when I saw that, I was like, I want to make games in Unity. <laughs> this is the moment where I want to make games in Unity. When I just saw, like, because I laughed for a good, like, ten minutes, even though the game only took one minute to play. Like, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. So. <laughs> I, I remember uh, I played Bubsy 3D, the, the remake <laughs> that came out last winter. And I saw the cheat entering thing there so i had to of course track down a page that had just a ton of different stuff and some of them like were status effects but others were just these like horrible inside joke like you put the code in and then it take your browser to like a youtube video and it was just the most bizarre stuff sometimes (laughs) not like not like really weird videos but just like the the connection to make the reference was just like what why are you posting me to this video what are you doing (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, that was that was definitely like, I mean, big head mode or tiny mode. Like, of course, those are great little winks and nods to video games of yore. But like just Dadaist references or like just the most bizarre, like elbow eh, 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 kind of like reference of a or like a YouTube video. It's just oh, it was so good. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly like that. I can see a game where you're in a pyramid and you get like a million snakes and there's Bittersweet Symphony playing being hilarious. It's just the weirdest juxtaposition of things. And the snakes don't animate. They just fly at you. They're like projectiles with physics. (laughs) It's just perfect. Um, Uh, Using Bittersweet Symphony is also a really good way to get sued by the Rolling Stones, too. So (laughs) That's right. Did they write the original uh, instrumental that was used in that there was a part of the strings Mm -hmm. that they sampled for the song that was like the strings were actually like a rolling stone cover like a song on a cover album Mm. and of course the 
the the songwriter copyright still went back to the Rolling Stones. So, uh oh, the song became really popular in the UK, and guess who came knocking? Can't you hear me knocking? <laughs> I was gonna say a drug-addled Mick Jagger, or at least the legal representation thereof. Yeah, the drug-addled representation of Mick Jagger. Yeah, no, that's terrifying shit. Yeah, but but the point, the thing that really stuck with me is. Unity makes it so easy to create these immersive, personally significant things that are so, that can be completely fucking stupid. Like, no intrinsic value, no, like, message, no, you know, refined first-person shooter stealth mechanics with voiceover and all that. It can just be, like, completely bonkers. And Hell, not, not even refined 2D, you know, graphics and uh gameplay either yeah it can be the world's stupidest model of the snake and you just multiply it by a thousand and throw (laughs) it in that physics engine and you've got yourself a good time so that's kind of like i think that keeps that ends up being my touchstone story of like you know what kind of uh motivated me to go stick with this plan and go through with it It was like um i saw that unity was accessible and i'm not like in any way like an expert designer an expert programmer i'm not like just awesome at any of those things like if i'm good at one thing it's probably like picking out common grammar mistakes but that's not very marketable these days as we can both tell you yep so i was just like well shit this is really cool i want to make something that would make people laugh like that too or give them something to you know kind of think about or make them want to go make something better you know it's like that it's like that whole creative cycle thing i just you know i've always wanted to do creative work i've always enjoyed doing creative work the most and uh, that's that's really what motivated, I think, me to stick with it. Well, I mean, it's it seems like with video games nowadays, you can use tools like Unity and all these other game engine or game design software suites where it, it lowers down that bar between having a stupid idea or, in our case, stupid meaning awesome. Yeah. So having a really, really fun creative idea and then actually executing on it. Yeah. It's... Uh... Like, the, the Flappy Jam taught me that in particular, because that's a game that I did, other than the sounds, which I sourced from uh, Free Sound what Resource, and there were only three of them, uh, everything in that game is me. Um, the sprites, the animation, the code, all that. And I did, oh, it, in, cool. I did it in about three days. Yeah, because it was a game jam. Was it a, a three-day-long game jam? It or? was like a week, but I wanted to... Okay. I, I started late, because I was like kind ah. of nervous about it. Like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And then I was like, wait, no, fuck it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to try anyway, and Flappy Bird is dumb, so <laughs> worst case scenario is I make a worse Flappy Bird and prove to the world that that's possible. And join the crowd. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I I made it. I learned a ton, as is usual, because I failed a lot, and when you fail, you kind of have to figure out why, and then you learn a lot about what you can't do, uh, which is uh, a big part of why the bard flips the way he does. Originally, it was going to be, um, there was going to be a completely different, like, rotation mechanic to it. And then I realized that was really frustrating and not very fun. And I was like, what if I just make him spin and spit out music notes behind him? And that's way easier and funnier and made the game not lag <laughs> as much. So Yeah, Occam, Occam's Razor, like yeah. the simplest solution to the problem. Exactly. Who needs a physics engine for flipping when you can just make him just rotate and it's even funnier. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, spawn music notes that look kind of kind of dumb. Yeah. It was it, it it was really fun though, um, and that kind of got me motivated to do my second uh, jam through itch.io. I think I mentioned them on the podcast before, but it's a a place where you can post your games and get money for them if people want to donate to you. Oh, cool! I haven't made any money off of it, 
please don't donate to my games because they're really bad on there. But eventually I think it could be a decent, you know, source of supplementary income if I uh, make enough stuff and it gets enough recognition. Well, hopefully at least this is, this is like what we've learned through journalism school and through writing is that your first draft should not be like written in silver. It's not carved in stone. It's not perfect, but your later drafts can be really good Yeah, or they can, they can be a guide towards something good. And we've also learned definitely through this website that just because the first time you do something isn't good that you can't get better no you can definitely get better if you keep practicing at it if you keep doing it it's just you're going to leave behind a trail of your half done experiments or your like halfway good ideas that could have been executed on better or you know basically failures right yeah it's it's so funny but like learning how to fail is one of those things that don't teach you in school, I feel like at least I never really picked up on that. I was always so terrified of failing that I just, you know, busted my ass yeah. on homework and found ways to kind of just, you know, skirt by. I feel like in our generation, especially, we've been insulated from a bit of natural failure. And and there's a there's a lot of discussion out there about this. There's a lot of articles about this, but I think in certain regards, like especially academically or in in business wise, like. We don't know how to respond to getting the no that eventually comes. And if you don't get it at, if you don't get it when you're in junior high school or high school, it's, it can be more difficult when you get it and there's actual like having a job or not having a job on the line versus getting an A or a B in a class. Yeah. And, you know, when things like promotions are on the line or like, you know, your ability to work on a project that is significant to you at, at your job. You know, it's it's important to, like, be aware of what it's like to not succeed and to have those experiences because, like, it can hit you really fucking hard if it's, you're not prepared for it mentally or if your culture doesn't really, like, talk about failure. It's It's one thing to struggle or stumble blindly into a back alley or stumble blindly into making a mistake and failing. When it's stubbing your toe, like if you're in high school and you completely, completely mess up on a class or something versus just whistling while you walk off a cliff in the case of losing a job or not getting a promotion or something where the real world repercussions are much greater. And I think our entire generation is just whistled off of a cliff because we've been insulated in a certain extent. I mean, I, I've read arguments on both sides of that, but I, I definitely and I, I don't really know if there's an absolute truth to it, but I feel like that's something that I had to learn later in life is, you know, what, what is, you know, failure really all about? And does it really, you know, what are the consequences of failing versus like, what are the consequences of not accepting failure? And it turns out that the latter is a whole hell of a lot worse in the long run. Um, yeah. Better to learn from your mistakes than be too afraid to make them. And uh, I, I got to say, like, exactly. There was a, there was a saying at Facebook among many that, um, we should always strive to fail harder and it sounds kind of silly especially when like your livelihoods on the line your health insurance and all that but um it was it was they practiced what they preached and like it was a, it was a safe space to take calculated risks and if a project had to be killed like especially even after like months and months and hundreds of people's work that was totally okay because it's all about like solving for the greater good so doing that person on a personal level of like acknowledging that it's okay if i don't ship a game that's commercially successful in my first three months or six months or 12 months or a year, two years. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. These things happen. What matters is that I'm doing good work and I'm learning from it and then building towards a better set of skills and expertise that I can continue to 
build upon and apply that becomes more valuable and uh, proficient over time. Like no one starts out making games like knowing how to do it. Nobody goes from there's there's not like this set of question marks between begin to learn Unity and putting out a game like Braid. Yeah, there's no like underpants gnomes style flowchart for this. It's exactly. It's just a whole lot of throwing your head against a wall and trying stuff out and realizing that none of it works and then running in circles trying to fix it and then realizing that there was a cooler idea all along. And then once you figure that out, you come back and you're like, oh, I knew how to do this other thing anyway. So um, yeah. if you're if you're curious about game design in general or what it's like to get started, um, the best resource I found is this podcast that Steve Gaynor has been doing. Uh, he's a, one of the co-founders of Fulbright Company, uh, designer of Gone Home. I uh, interviewed him for the site about six months ago. Our 2013 Game of the Year Gone Our Home? Our 2013 Game of the Year Gone Home, available now on PC mac and linux coming to consoles later in 2014 sponsored yep. by the fulbright company no i'm just kidding we don't get any money from them uh yeah he he does a great podcast uh called tone control it's distributed through idle thumbs have you heard it doug i haven't listened to it yet because i'm i'm always like uh i've got i get some of my news and information and stuff via podcasts because i can't just turn on my tv and get espn here in japan um so I I spend way too much time listening to news and stuff that I would rather otherwise get in other forms, and also like I don't have as much interest inherently in in going into game design. Sure. So like I would love to be in the business side of games. Like, I I got to be honest about that. Like I would love to do like cultivation and talent stuff and like trying to market and slot where games would go and all that type of stuff. And so if anybody listens and wants to hire somebody, let me know. Um. But I don't necessarily want to dive in elbows deep into making code or coming up with an idea to do that because I think I would, I don't know if I would be a good fit for that. So listening to a podcast about game development could be interesting because I I do always enjoy when Idle Thumbs or other game like game discussions go into the like how the sausage is made department. But a whole podcast dedicated to it, I'm not sure I would. Uh, really make best use of that's fair i mean i would check it out if there's anyone any one person in particular who you see on there you're like oh yeah that game was really cool i want to know how it was made because yeah. uh I'm, I'm always willing to give a new podcast a shot yeah and i mean he's a former idle thumb so hopefully you're at least familiar with like yeah. his uh his chick but uh yeah I've, I've listened to almost every episode of it at this point and some of the discussions like today i was listening to the tim schaefer one that just went up uh, a couple days ago and uh Tim Schafer is probably the most influential designer in terms of how I what got me wanting to make games and how I wanted to make them and how I really felt like humor has a really important role to play in games that's absent from so many games. And uh, for for me, for someone who's like trying to understand, you know, where these people came from and how they kind of got to where they are today, I mean, I mean, I doubt anyone would dispute that Tim Schafer is one of the biggest names in especially in independent game development, because I think Double Fine is independently owned. But um, just in general, like his legacy on the on storytelling in games is second to only maybe a few people. So uh highly recommend you check out that podcast. That that sounds like the episode to get into it, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's, it's actually really, they're really long interviews. Uh, so if there's someone you really already like listening to, like Jonathan Blow did one, he's an interesting character. Um, Jonathan Blow, who designed Braid and yeah. is working on the outsider 
The Witness. The Witness. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. Um, and there's one with um, Greg Kasabin and, um, oh, shoot, what's his name? Amir Rao, who started Supergiant. Yeah. So they made Bastion. They're working on um, uh, Transistor. Uh, yes. Which yeah. looks really cool. I knew it was Electronics. Yeah. It also looks awesome. Yeah. So lots of cool people like that. Tom Francis, who made Gunpoint, left his journalism career to go make games. Um, lots of great examples. But um, really for me, what is, what, what's what been the most important thing, I think, is just um, not being afraid to share stuff with people, even if it's just total garbage. Like the second Game Jam game I submitted was broken and unplayable and largely came together in the last eight hours. But... Um, it was done. I learned a lot from it. It placed in like the bottom 75 or 25% of all games submitted, but whatever. I learned from it. I won't do it again. Uh, and just having those experiences of getting feedback, being open to critique has been really big for me, especially because like it can be kind of isolating when you're trying to get into an independent field. If you don't have connections, if you don't have like a basic grounding in your identity or in your toolkit of like, okay, I know how to make games. I was a graphics programmer for 10 years at yeah, or Activision. Or or never mind being whatever, having the skills, just being there, like yeah. being in that community. Oh, yeah, I used to work at this company, and so I know this guy from here, and, and this guy who's now here used to be here with us, and you don't have that. Right. And that can be very difficult. And that's something that I'll you know continue to think about is what is the best way for me to be getting experience and getting exposure uh, and you know just ultimately learning good stuff, shipping good content, and working on stuff that I feel like is, you know, meaningful on some level. So, you know, that may drive me to look more towards trying to get hired somewhere again in the future, or it may lead me to double down on, you know, I should really focus on these projects I've been, you know, so passionate about just in case they work out. Well, I think um, at the least you should be looking to get involved or like trying to make those connections because it's going to be useful no matter what you do. Yeah. I was just going to say anyone else who's interested, who's like in a similar place that I was at, um, there are great meetup groups in a lot of major cities. Like Seattle has a Unity Developers Group and an Independent Games Group um, that I've joined on Meetup, and they're super valuable resources. Uh, so there are definitely communities out there that are kind of open to people who are eager to get their feet uh, in the door. Yeah, and you know it it it's always made to sound like so negative in our culture, but the whole it's who you know is really true. And for no matter what you do, whether you're going to get into games or get into something else, it's it's all about that. And in this case, with starting out, it's it's not just about getting a getting this high paying job and happily ever after. It's about learning skills and getting people to help mentor you and to tell you when your ideas are shitty or when they're good, and you know to to help steer your work efforts in the correct way if you're going to be independent or if you're going to be joining in with somebody. Yeah, I I totally agree. In that way, I, I wish I was in Tokyo area and could join up with Tyler and meet a bunch of crazy people who are expats in the gaming industry in Japan because that would give me such a great in. I don't even, I can't even tell you like how good it would be to be in that case. But I'm not there yet, so I can't join into that. It sounds like that's a that's the place that in Kyoto or like the places to be in Japan if you want to be in game development. So mm -hmm. hopefully, at some point, you can at least find a way up there for some social event or something if you if that's something you're interested in or yeah. if you ever wind up back in the states at some point i guess we could go to pax again or i don't know 
Yeah, there's lots and of stuff these other there. social events are also good too. Yeah, there's GDC, there's all kinds of stuff. But there's also TGS, you know, out there. There's there's a pretty vibrant scene in Japan, it sounds like, even if it's changing a lot. So you're now working on other some other secret projects. You're going from one kind of game idea to the next and what are you working on now and when do you want to have it presentable or like tell me tell me yeah so fortunately not a whole lot of people listen to this so i I feel like i can talk kind of candidly about what i'm working on the game i'm working on is uh kind of it's something i've been toying with doing for ever since i moved up here actually which is this uh this so i noticed a lot of my friends growing up in the northwest moved away uh for college or after college but always wound their way back and a lot of people um made a lot of friends especially in portland with people who came out there um from all over the country because they'd heard that portland was awesome they wanted to kind of like have be a part of like this culturally conscious progressive low environmental impact type of ethos this mentality this sort of pseudo community and on the one hand that's a big part of why i love portland so much is that it embodies these kinds of values that matter to me and on the other hand it's patently fucking ridiculous <laughs> like there's just you kind of have just have to laugh at like perception versus reality of what the city of portland is actually like because it has a lot of problems too and but yeah you can't deny the fact that there have been uh, there's been a huge migration especially in the 20 to 30 year olds uh out to portland over the last especially over the last five to ten years uh among millennials i guess i should say and uh i kind of wanted to do something that would give me a way to like kind of leverage my knowledge of where I grew up of like, you know, being at the end of the Oregon trail and living in the Northwest and living in a, you know, a left leaning progressive kind of environment and kind of just, you know, poke fun at my generation, you know, which has identifying traits that are positive and negative, And some of them are laughable. Some of them are really scary. Some of them are really awesome and kind of just yep. make a game that updates, you know, this notion of going West for uh this generation so uh the game is basically a modern retelling of the oregon trail uh except you're starting in brooklyn new york and you're driving either like a beat-up station wagon or you know a, a toyota prius or something depending on like what difficulty you select uh and trying to get to portland with a group of other uh ragtag idealistic dreamers <laughs> and uh yeah, so it's it's uh, it's still super early. I don't have anything to show at this point, but uh, my hope is that it'll be funny and replayable and uh, authentic and poke some good fun without actually like seriously offending anybody or taking any cheap pot shots. If they if there are any, those people will have it coming. I think you were born in Portland as well, right? Born and raised. Mm-hmm. I was born in in Northwest Portland. I can point on a map and show you exactly where where I came came to life, and that was in the city of Portland. I was born in Northwest too. Anybody who it's, it's a very good chance that we were in the same hospital. Yeah. <laughs> anybody who can't take a joke, or like anybody who gets seriously offended by the show Portlandia and is and claims to be from Portland needs to get the fuck out of my city because <laughs> yeah. they are originally from California and do not deserve to be in Portland. There, I've said it. Oh, God. I wonder if people outside of Oregon playing this game will understand the, the strong, vehement, anti-California sentiment that uh, 
permeates it well i can sure as hell tell you that seattleites would probably understand that yeah but a lot of the californians stay in oregon these days it seems like you don't get a whole lot up here yeah but they they got it worse in the 80s and early 90s is what i uh, oh, have yeah. been led to believe probably that explains the traffic that's up here because it's fucking bad yeah for context there's been a lot of people who have moved from the state of california to get jobs in the pacific northwest in the last 30 years and it doesn't quite sit properly with natives let's put it that way <laughs> yeah i mean half I, I would say half the kids in my elementary school class were from california so yeah this like there's been migrations all throughout time but this is a very micro area and also we have a we have a long history of people moving to oregon i mean the oregon trail exists but also even in the 1970s our former governor tom mccall was saying on national tv like Oregon's beautiful. Portland is beautiful. Come visit, but please don't move here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like that's a, that's an ethos that you see in a lot of similar cities like, uh, Austin, uh, after South by Southwest, there's always this big outpouring. Of, Thanks for visiting. Please don't move here. Oh my God. I've, I've listened to tested.com's podcasts about talking about what they've done at South by Southwest this year. And beyond just the ickiness of the word South by as a, as a, like, as describing the thing like it just sounds like it's completely just it's like a a a horde of locusts taking over this otherwise nice college town for about two weeks three weeks yeah yeah it's like did you see that the film festival episode of south park Uh, i think i have yeah where like all these tourists descend and just destroy the city it's like that yeah basically um yeah i don't want to be one of those people who was like back in my day in 2011 South by Southwest meant something, but like it really changed a lot and I don't miss it. (laughs) Things get popular and then they get ruined is basically the story of the 21st century. Yep. That's, that's it. You can stop right there. But yeah, so I think it's also going to be good that you're going to take use of both your nascent skills in development and creating a game, but also it's a narrative type of game. You're not going to go make a first person shooter but no, those so are like, it's not going to be as those take as reliant on the game engine. Yeah, those take actual like skills and knowledge. But it's going to be reliant on writing, and it's something that you can do. So the whole phrase, the old phrase of "write what you know," kind of comes into play. You're using your existent strengths in writing and creative writing, and also topics that you are very familiar with. So it sounds like a very good combination, and I'm very like. In full disclosure, I heard the heard the idea beforehand, and I was laughing my ass off for a good long time, and also <laughs> feel like I should get some sort of royalty because I feel like I'm a person who planted that seed in your head a few years ago. Oh, probably. I'll I'll throw you in the credits. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, now that we know where you've been and where you're going to be going in the future, I cannot wait to see how this develops, <laughs> and also to um continue hearing about your adventures in game development and knowing that you're able to chase the dream right now well i'm kind of chasing my own personal dreams and living in japan so i definitely understand and respect that and it just happens that yours is a little bit more relevant to a video game website than mine at the moment i don't know there are probably a lot of otaku out there who want to see you going to these like game shops and buying like japan only games and i don't know doing a a massive marathon live stream of cho aniki games no yeah no yeah Mm -mm. okay tokimeki memorial i am not that dude you're more likely to get (laughs) you are much more likely to get uh 
a whole live stream of old pro evo soccer uh titles than you are to get just one thing like that i I don't know man i might just blatantly do some jeff gersman bait and get a bunch of horse racing games and just call (laughs) it a day oh my god please i want to like we could probably set up like a fundraiser some way through that to raise money for a charity just betting yeah. on fake horses from a 1994. Oh my god, we gotta part. cut this up, Spencer. Edit this out because we're. I'm gonna give away a million dollar idea here in a second. <laughs> Salty bet for horse racing games. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it needs real time gambling on horse racing video games. Twitch plays horse racing video games. No, dude. Salty bet style. Okay, yeah, that works too. Just just do everything. Everything's going to be horse racing in the future. Get your salts up. All right, and with that bombshell, we're going to call this episode closed. All right. Thanks for joining us. I am your host, Doug Bonham. I am, well, let me get to our guest first and let him talk about where you can find him on the internet. Nick, go ahead. I love being a called a guest on my own website. Um, <laughs> well, I'm hosting it because I was interviewing you, so that's what you get. Fair Fair enough. Well, as long as I got the guest spotlight, uh, you can find me writing on this website called SiliconSasquatch.com. Uh, I tweet about stuff uh, at Nick Cummings. Uh, and what else? I don't really. I need a new game to live stream. I used to promote my Twitch stream on here, but uh, now that I finished Dark Souls, there's like an emptiness in my heart. Uh, I'm Wymog on every gaming platform in the world, so let's play some games sometime. All right, and. I am at Douglas Bonham on Twitter, and I am also a contributor quite often to SiliconSasquatch.com. I'm going to have a couple different things up in the next couple weeks. Things that are currently drafts and have been sitting on my computer for too long are going to get published very soon. Uh, I intend to start live streaming eventually on their website as well. And I'm not necessarily joking about getting old Japanese horse racing games and streaming them out just a little hint <laughs> you can find us at siliconsasquatch.com our podcasts are available there and on itunes and please read the site comment on the podcasts listen subscribe on itunes friend us on facebook and we'll continue to post our uh discussions and such there uh tell a friend get a friend interested we love creating this stuff but we love having an audience for it even more And I guess with that, we can bid adieu. Thank you once again. Come back next week when hopefully we'll have another brand new interesting podcast up for you then. Until then, good night. Good night.